We've been looking at Galatians, and uh, the whole um, message theme of this book is really uh, pretty straightforward. Um, Paul is talking to the Galatians about how they've got the whole idea of the Christian life all wrong. He's basically telling them, that although they've come to, the, to, to faith under the idea of grace, this idea of free grace that the gospel is wrapped up in, they've come to, the, to God under the idea of grace, but they're now trying to live out a gospel of good works. And so many of us do the exact same thing, don't we? We, we come to God with this great idea of grace. He loves us unconditionally. We can't earn our salvation. But then once we, we get saved... This human thing, nature thing kicks in, and we start trying to grow through our works, through our own effort. And so, uh, to understand Galatians, you've got to also understand the nature of the Old Testament law. And we discussed that a little bit like two weeks ago. And we said that the Old Testament law is kind of like a mirror. And so, the, the point of the law was to reflect back to the people of Israel. Oh, thank you reflect back to the people of Israel how evil they really were. So if it's like a mirror, then basically they would look at the law and go, okay, the law says don't covet. Well, guess what you're doing? You're coveting. The law says don't murder. Well, guess what you've done? You've murdered. So it was a way of God showing the people how much they needed a Savior. But what happened was the Galatians reversed things. They turned the tables a bit. So where they, they, they thought the law, the whole purpose of the law, was trying to live up and measure up to the law so they can feel righteous and feel good about themselves. The whole point of the law was to show you your need for a Savior. Okay? And just like this morning, you got up and you went to the mirror. And you went to the mirror. Why? Because you wanted to see how ugly you were. So that you could know how to fix yourself to come to church this morning. And so, the mirror showed you that your hair was all messed up. Your makeup was all non-existent. And, uh... And so you put on makeup, and, and you put on makeup if you're a girl. I don't think any guys here have any makeup on. At least I couldn't tell this morning. But, but you, the mirror showed you what needed fixing, right? That's kind of the point of the law. The law shows you what needs fixing. And Jesus is there to fix us, to save us, to redeem us. And so that was the point of the law, but the Galatians missed the point of the law completely. Now... I'll demonstrate another way of looking at the law uh, by telling you a story. Uh, this past week, we went to San Diego uh, to um, go to a conference. And while we were there, we decided to go visit the San Diego Zoo. Anybody been to the San Diego Zoo? And it's like the best zoo in the world, so we hear. And so here's a panda smoking some weed, I think, or something. I don't know. And uh, then the next one here is a gorilla eating some weed. And that was a mid-chomp action shot right there. And then here's the next one. That's the next scene. The next, yeah, it's like a little, if you put her really fast, it's like a movie. Uh, next one, what's the next one here? Now he's smelling it. I have some more gorilla. I love gorillas. They're awesome. Here's another gorilla. See, you're not the only one who picks your nose. It's okay. Now he's putting it on his hair. Now he's thinking about doing it again. Uh, so these are gorillas. Then we have the, the ferocious, untamed, fearful-looking tigers as they sleep. Uh, but, but so we saw these really cool animals. Now, of course, all these animals were 
in a cage. They were in some kind of a pen in some kind of a cage. And uh, now here's the thing. Um, if someone tames the animal, if someone tames the animal, listen, you're distracted. If someone tames the animal, the animal no longer needs a cage, right? Because the animal, its internal being, its internal makeup has been changed to where it doesn't need a cage to restrain it anymore. Now, the law is kind of like that, where God gave them the law to restrain them. And so when Christ came, Christ took away the law because they no longer needed the law in that way. It it was like God was changing them from the inside so that they no longer need these just external rules to like hem them in, okay? And, And so now... The, the function of, of the law has now been internalized to, to where they change because Jesus has transformed them. Now, now the cage at the zoo, the cage does not have the power to change an animal, right? They've got to undergo like some kind of an internal change to become tame. And in the same way, the law never had the power to change anybody. It never had that kind of power. It only set them up for their need for a Savior. Okay? So the Galatians, although they've been changed by the gospel, they're now trying to turn back to the law, almost re-enter their cage that they used to be in under the law. And, and, and they're, they're trying to go back into this, this thing called slavery, spiritually. Now, today's passage is going to show us something I think really profound. Um, Today's passage shows us how Christians grow. I want you to discuss for a few minutes at your tables this next question. Describe a time in your life when you grew spiritually. Why do you think you grew during that time? Go ahead and discuss for a few minutes. Most of you could probably think of a time when you felt like God was just really growing you spiritually and really kind of changing you in some areas. Maybe you were going through a time where you weren't even aware of it until after it all happened, right? Um, but it may be hard for you to understand why, why, why it was during that time you grew more than maybe another time in your life. And so today we're going to look at what causes Christians to grow. How do Christians actually grow in their faith? Uh, look at Galatians chapter 3, verses, uh, verse 1. Paul starts off this chapter by saying, You foolish Galatians. What a way to start off a chapter. You can imagine Paul sitting there going, I'm looking, I'm, I'm thinking, trying to think of a line for chapter 3, an opening line. I'll call them morons. I'll start off with that. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. So here's what Paul's saying. He's saying that, that Paul is saying, I came to you in Galatia and I clearly showed you the crucified Christ. 
The Galatians weren't at the crucifixion. They didn't see it in that way, but, but Paul passionately and profoundly and vividly depicted the resurrected Christ, the crucified Christ to the Galatians. So here they were, they're listening to this message for the first time, and they're overcome with emotion, they're overcome with conviction because of their sin. And so because of that, they respond in faith, and, and they come to faith in Christ for the first time in their life. Now, uh, I want to show you what happens to us when you, when you go through the same process the Galatians went through. Here's what happens to me and you. Uh, spiritual rebirth. You experience a spiritual rebirth when, when you understand that the gospel is not just this intellectual thing you assent to, but it's something that just moves you. It moves your heart. It moves your being. And you can't help but just be convicted and drawn to Jesus as a result of it. And so you hear the gospel, first of all. Someone comes to you and they, they tell you the story. They, they tell you the story of Jesus Christ and how we are separated from God because of our sin and it's, and it's only for Him that you can, you can have salvation and, and, and live a completely full life on this earth. Secondly, we transfer trust from our works to Christ's work. There's a transfer happening when you make this recognition that Jesus Christ is God. You make this transfer of trust from relying on your own works to placing your faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Here's what it looks like. If you were to have a scale, if you were to pile up all of your works on one side of the scale and Jesus Christ's one work on the other side of the scale, His one work would outweigh all of your good works put together. The life that He lived, the perfection, and the death that He died that you and I deserve, all those things would outweigh your many, many works that were good. His one work is the only thing that we can place our faith and trust in. His work on the cross. Thirdly, you receive the Holy Spirit and you were changed inside out. You undergo this internal change. And so the Galatians experienced all of this. They, they believed and they were changed, but now it's like they've, they've come under some kind of a weird spell. Now it's like they've, he uses the word, but now you've become bewitched. Anybody used to watch that show, like really old show on TV? Maybe it still comes on some kind of weird channel, but there was a show called Bewitch where she would, she was like a, a good witch, I guess. Uh, she wasn't one of those ugly witches, she was actually like a, a beautiful witch. And she, uh, and, and she would uh, maybe cast a spell on somebody. And so what happens when, when someone is under a spell is that they, they stop thinking. They're like a zombie kind of walking around, right? They, they can't control their actions, they're just under this spell, they're bewitched. And so Paul is saying, Galatians, it's like you guys have become under this spell. I saw you a few years ago and you were passionate about Christ, you were had a legitimate faith, but now for some reason it's as if somebody has come along and put you under some kind of a hex or voodoo or spell of some kind, and now you're following after the law and not following after Jesus. They've gone back to the law. So verse 2, Paul writes, he says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? There it is again. After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Your next discussion question is this. Based on this passage, verses 2 and 3, how are the Galatians trying to grow spiritually? Go ahead and discuss that.
Okay, I know some of you. I know sometimes you can look at a passage and you can kind of wonder, you know, what. Uh, I'm not sure I can get from that passage the question you're trying to to get at here. Let me break it down for you. Here's what he's saying: the Galatians think they can grow by just trying real hard. Okay. In other words, he's saying, he says. Come on, Galatians, tell me one thing. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? In other words, he's saying they received the Spirit when they, when they came to faith in Jesus. They came to believe in Jesus. They didn't receive the Spirit by observing some law. They didn't receive the Spirit by just doing a bunch of works. And so he says, after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to obtain your goal through human effort? In other words, he's saying, okay, you started here under the gospel of grace... Now you're moving on towards a gospel of works. Now you think you can grow just by trying real hard. You think you can grow by human effort. Now I think this is true for many of us today. Many Christians uh, today believe they're saved by grace, that they understand the whole grace thing, but you believe that you grow by works. You, You believe that you grow by just trying really hard. You may have an experience at some kind of a camp or whatever has happened in your life to bring you to faith, and you come to this gospel of grace, and then after you move on from that, now here's your view of the Christian life. You see it as, okay, I've just got to buckle down, I've just got to really be disciplined, I've got to be really uh, consistent and focused and just really try hard to make myself grow. That is what I think most Christians, your approach to your growth as a Christian, is that. And so Paul is asking the question, he's saying, listen, how did you get saved? Let's go back to the beginning. How did you get saved? First of all, you believed. You were overcome with conviction. You were overcome with, with guilt because of your sin, and you repented because of it. And he's saying that you grow the exact same way you got saved. You grow the exact same way you got saved. You don't get saved by grace and then grow through works. You you don't get saved by grace and then grow just by trying really hard. He's saying if if you want to grow spiritually, you have to go back to the gospel. You've got to go back to the gospel. You, You see, guys, I want you to get this this morning, that the gospel is like a deep well from which you never stop drinking. You don't just... It's not like this. Most Christians see it this way. They see the... Okay, here's the gospel. Here's the gospel of grace. I come to faith in Jesus. Then I move on from that. And there's this timeline. Now, the rest of my life, I'm just going to try really hard. I'm just going to put on a bunch of effort and, and try to be a good Christian and just try my best to not screw up. But, but Paul is saying, no, no, get rid of that idea. See it this way. That, let's say this is the gospel. You don't move away from the gospel. You, you grow deep roots into the gospel. You, you let the root, those roots spiral downward and, and, and you let the, the water of the gospel, the, the soil of the gospel, root you and ground you. And when you're 75 years old, you will never be moved. You can't be moved. You don't move on and graduate from the gospel. You, you grow deep into it. You grow deep into it. Now, I know this sounds kind of complex. I want to spend the rest of our time just briefly talking about what this looks like. 
in our lives. Here's the question. How do we grow through believing the gospel rather than just by trying harder? How do we do it? I want to show you a couple of examples. Let's take the issue of anger. How do people deal with anger? I found a, a funny clip of, uh, of someone attempting to deal with their anger. This is how maybe not to do it. Let's go and play the clip. Open the door, read the instructions. Uh, Is this the safe one? Yeah. Can we show you how to use it? No. Oh. Ah. I wanted to unjam that. 23. Yes. Time enormously. <laughs> Let me tell you about a pattern that's beginning to emerge. As a former field agent, I'm very much aware of how difficult it is to make the transition to office life. No, Chief, he didn't unjam the copier. And we have rules here, you know that. And if you don't follow the rules, then what are we? I'll tell you what, we're not. We're not people who jam staples into other people's heads. All right, look, Chief, I'm your best guy. I don't belong in an office making copies. I should be out there with Max. Look, 23. No more stapling today. So that's one way to handle it, I guess. Uh, What are some other ways people deal with anger? Uh, How do they try to get over their anger? One might be anger management. Anyone ever been to anger management in here? Uh, I don't see any hands go up. Didn't think I would. Maybe the the three-step process, I don't even know what that is, but people will say, okay, whenever I get angry, I have to uh, take ten deep breaths, and um, and then my anger just goes away. Uh, that stuff doesn't work for me ever. I just get, I get more angry the more I breathe, you know? And uh, so, so here's the deal. How do you deal with anger as a Christian? Well, let's go back to this question. Let's go back to this question. Why do people get angry? People get angry because there's been an injustice. Whether it's perceived or real, there's been some kind of injustice. Something's been violated and now they're angry. So how do we get over our anger and, we've, and forgive? How do we move on from being a person of anger and actually forgiving people and, 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 and growing as a result of it? You don't do it by just trying harder. But that's exactly how most of you do it. That's exactly how most of us try to grow, is we say, well, okay, I've got to get over that. I've just got to buckle down and just, you know, clench my teeth and, and grip my, my hands and, and just, I've got to deal with it. I've just got to try real hard to forgive, try real hard not to be angry. That's how most Christians deal with their anger. But here's what Paul is saying. If all growth spurs from the gospel, if all growth comes from this deep well of the gospel, then here's what you have to do to get over anger. You have to go back to the gospel. You've got to remind yourself that you're a sinner saved by God's grace. And that even though you're a sinner, Jesus Christ looked over your sin and He forgave you. Therefore, how can you not forgive someone who has wronged you? You've got to go back to the gospel. This truth applies to any sin. 
that we deal with. What about a friendship gone bad? Many of you sit in this room probably have uh, friends or ex-friends that you uh, haven't seen in a while because there was some kind of falling out, some kind of a thing happened, and you know he said this to her, and then you heard about that from another person, and on and on and on and on, on it goes, and, and you're sitting there at a loss for what to do. And and let me just tell you, if this is true, if if all growth really comes from deepening yourself in the gospel, here's what you should do: you should realize that hey, look, I'm not the only person in this equation or that other person is not the only person in this equation I'm also a part of the equation as well maybe I did something wrong maybe I wronged them in some way and I'm not even really I don't really even care about them enough to even go and find out maybe you need to understand by yourself that, that maybe you're a sinner as well and, and when you realize that you go to that person and say hey look if I've done something wrong I'm, I'm terribly sorry I want to make it right how can we repair this friendship How can we make this right? You see, any relationship that's been broken, if it's going to be healed, it has to go back to this fundamental truth, and that is one of us, if not both of us, are sinners. And we have violated the other person in some way. And we've got to make it right. We've got to own that and understand that. And we can never move on to healing if we don't start there with the gospel. What about the issue of greed? Uh... Any greedy people in here today? Yes, yes, thank you for being honest. I appreciate that. Uh, greed. Why is it that we, we feel like we've got taken all this stuff and, and have all this stuff? It's because you feel like you're unsatisfied. Something in life has not been given to you that you want. And the gospel says you have every reason to be satisfied fully in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. You have everything you need in a relationship with Him to feel fulfilled and satisfied. What about the issue of lust? Lust is a huge thing, obviously, for a lot of people. And here is the deal with lust. When you lust after somebody, you are basically, it's your way of telling God, God, I don't think you're very good. I don't think you're very good, God, because I, I don't think that you're going to... I feel like, God, you're holding out on me. I feel like that, that my future marriage is not going to be enough. I need, I need more than that, and, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it. And, and so it's your way of, of undermining God and saying, God, I, I don't want to, to follow your plan. I don't want to follow after you. I'm going to look at somebody else in a lustful way, and and I'm going to take what's rightfully mine. That is lust. The gospel changes all that. The gospel changes that. Maybe you're someone who's always trying to impress people, uh, so you'll feel accepted. Maybe you're somebody who's always trying to um, get better and be better and be funnier and be smarter, more intellectual, so you'll feel accepted by a certain group of people at school. Listen, the gospel says you're already accepted. The, the, the gospel says that you're, you've already been fully accepted by God. So, so, so what, you, can, you can get off the treadmill. You can get off this... this, this this rat race that you're on. You see, when you want to grow, you don't just need more effort. You need to grow deeper in the gospel. You see, we're not, we're not just saved by the gospel, but we grow by the gospel. You don't just try to grow by, by just trying really, really hard. 
So here's what I want to ask you today to kind of close out. How does God want you to grow deeper in the gospel? How does God want you to to grow your roots deep into the gospel of His grace? There's a video that I want to show you to, to close out here. This is the, the latest uh, Rob Bell Numa video. And uh, we'll close out with this. But um, this, this video kind of shows an example of what we're talking about today, how the gospel invades everything. Now, there's one character in this video you have to know going into it that um, he's an invisible guy. The people in the video can't see him. So most of you will get that, but if you don't get that going into it, you'll just be kind of confused. So let's watch this video. And for a few moments, all is right with the world. Now, now these tomatoes, they were originally alive. I mean, they were connected to the vine, which had its roots in the soil, which grew from the earth. I mean, same with the onions, same with the peppers, same with the cilantro. I mean, they were once all receiving nutrients from the earth, but then they were harvested, thrown onto a truck, and, and brought to the farmer's market, and they eventually ended up in our kitchen. And so when they were harvested, they, they were severed from the vine. They were pulled from the soil. They were disconnected from their life source and then brought to us so that we could eat them. And if we don't eat, we don't live. And so this food, this dead food, gives us life. And actually, the more recently food has been living, the more life it gives us. Fresh food is better for us. I mean, this actually explains the nutritional deficiencies of a Twinkie. I mean, if it can't give life because it was never really living. And so there is this principle that the death of this one thing gives us life. Our survival, our sustenance, our life is dependent upon the death of another living thing. 
know, think about our skin. Our skin is dying constantly. I mean, it's flaking off and it's turning into dust. But in those very same moments in which our skin is dying, our body is also producing new skin to replace that dead old skin. I mean, you get an entirely new skin every 30 days. And this isn't just true about what we eat and about our bodies. I mean, think about fertilizer. You know, the, the fertilizer that you, you spread on things to make them grow. Where does the best fertilizer come from? It comes from manure, which is decomposing and dead. Or think about the seasons. New life springs forth from the earth in the spring. And then by the end of summer and fall, things begin to die. The leaves fall from the trees. And then by, by winter time, it's dead. No grass growing. No flowers in bloom. Dead. And, and then in spring, new life explodes again from the earth. And then we repeat the cycle, only to go back through death, life, death, life. I mean, this rhythm of death giving way to life is built into the very fabric of the created order, which takes us back to the tomatoes. If we want more tomatoes, new tomatoes, so we can make more salsa, we're going to have to plant tomato seeds. And what is planting? It's taking a seed and placing it in the earth and then burying it. I mean, generally, we bury things that are dead. And then in some mysterious way, a new tomato plant will arise out of the earth because death is the engine of life. So, so when the Bible tells the story of God bringing new life to the world, how does the story go? It's about Jesus who dies and rises again. It's about death bringing about new life. His death on a cross, his resurrection, and in some ways it's how the world has always worked. And Jesus doesn't just enter into this process with his own flesh and blood, but then he invites people to take up their cross. He says at one point, unless you lose your life for my sake, you'll never find it. He even says in one teaching that unless a seed falls to the ground, it can't produce new life. Jesus teaches us how to die so that we can really live. Do you ever find yourself telling a story in a particular way to make yourself look better? Like you emphasize certain details and you leave other details out? You twist the story ever so slightly in your favor. For many of us, this impulse is so deep within us. We've been doing this for so long, we're not even aware that we're doing it. What would it be like to be free from all that? And Jesus invites that part of us to die. The part of us that always has to be right. The part of us that always has to be better. The part of us that always has to look good. Jesus invites that part of us to die. at a very young age from the world around us. That it's about winning. It's about impressing. That our value and our worth and our acceptance comes from how good we are, how fast, how better, how skilled, how smart, how competent. We quite quickly realize that the way to get ahead is to raise yourself up, to take the path of ascent, to climb higher and higher. But that's exhausting. So we spend all this energy because we learn how to build, construct these masks and facades 
to cover up all the things that we aren't. And so we spend all this energy maintaining this false self, carefully protecting and preserving this image that we've created. But, but Jesus invites us not to the path of ascent, but the path of descent. Jesus invites us to, to die to all that so that we can really live. Jesus invites us to lose our life so that we can really find it. I mean, think about how many relationships, how many broken relationships aren't going to get any better until somebody is the first to apologize. Why is that so hard? It's so hard because when we say we're sorry, when we admit that our hands aren't clean and that we may have contributed to this mess, saying you're sorry is a form of death. It's a refusal to carry on the false self and prop it up. It's a refusal to preserve that perfect image of yourself. And that can be hard to do when you've spent so much time maintaining a particular version of yourself. I mean, Jesus invites us to lose our life so that we can really find it. Or how many times when you think about doing something new is your next thought, what will people think? Think of how many of our fears are rooted in how we believe we're going to be perceived by others, whether we're going to be admired, whether we're going to be seen as worthy or good enough. And Jesus invites us to die to all that. Jesus' insistence is that we're all ready love. That God is love. And, and that love of God gets rid of fear. I mean, this cuts right to the core of Jesus' message. I mean, we become easily deceived into thinking that we're loved because we're moral enough, spiritual enough, good enough, right enough. But, but, but the essence of Jesus' message is that we aren't saved, accepted, loved, and valued because of how spiritual, moral, true, or right we are. But, but his message is that we're saved in our death. We're, we're invited to trust him. That what we could never do on our own, he's already done for us. Some people put it like this. Jesus saves but for some people refuse to die, don't they? I mean, they just endlessly cling to their ego and their false self, and they keep propping up this particular version of themselves and trusting in their own efforts to somehow, someday, be good enough. And and as they do that, the life is just drained right out of them. Is this you? Like holding so tightly to your life that you're actually losing it? I was approached by these people recently who had a question about something in the Bible. It's actually something Jesus said. So they read it to me and they say, Well, what do you mean here? Can you explain it to us? And as they're reading it, I realize I have no idea what he means here. I have no clue. Blank. Nothing. And I'm realizing, what am I supposed to say here? What happened was so strange. It was as if time kind of it got slower and slower as I realized I had these options. I had these paths set out before me. The one option was to make up some sort of convoluted, complicated answer, especially to talk over their heads. I mean, anything to avoid the simple truth that I didn't know how to answer their question. Anything to save face. I'd love to be superpowered, spiritual answer man, but, but I'm not. 
The other option was to tell them the truth, to give them an honest answer, to look them in the eyes and to say to them, you know, I don't know how to answer your question. But that would have been painful. And it would have been painful because it would have involved a death. I would have had to die to my desire to appear competent, to appear smart, to appear good enough. You know, we we have these endless opportunities every day, don't we? These endless choices, paths, options. Are, are we going to choose the carefully preserved image or the honest answer? The whole self or the, the true? Are we going to choose fear or freedom? The path of ascent or the path of descent? There is a cycle, a rhythm, a truth about how the universe works. From, from tomatoes to our bodies to ecosystems to the seasons, death is the engine of life. Jesus invites us to die so that we can really live. So may you lose your life and in the process find me. May the love of God free you from fear. And may you trust that Jesus saves. Thank you so much for uh, for allowing us to never uh, stop growing. And thank you for um, giving us the gospel and help us to uh, continually root ourselves in it and grow from it. God, help us as Christians to never be deceived into thinking that we graduate from it, God, that we grow into it. Help us to never, ever lose it and never, ever forget that truth. We thank you so much for... Each person that is here, we also lift up uh, Sam Goodrich's family this morning as uh, they're grieving, and we grieve with them. We praise you for uh, being a good God, nonetheless, in your name. Amen. Thank you guys for coming. We'll see you guys on Tuesday or Wednesday. Have a great week.